We're in session one of a new series. It's a one of four sessions together called Grace is Greater. Some of you, it's been a while since you were in math class where that greater than sign was used, but that greater than sign is really powerful when we start thinking about how grace is greater than so many things. Grace is greater. We're going to be looking at a series that describes this. So here's a statement about our series. Grace is God's plan to overcome your past, redeem your pain, and rewrite your story. Now, I don't think it's an overstatement to say this is the biggest, most important subject matter that we could ever talk about. If you're talking about a person, we could go bigger than that. But when we're talking about a subject matter, this is it. This is the subject matter is, that's the most important subject matter that we could ever talk about. It's what the whole Bible is all about. It, uh, of course, points us to the person who is the giver of grace. But to understand grace is huge. It is God's plan. Now, it's also really hard to talk about because... I'm usually left in the position to try to explain. And explaining is really falls short of really how to get a hold of grace. So we're beginning today talking about grace is greater. And today's session is grace is greater than my guilt. Grace is greater than my guilt. Now it's going to feel like we're taking a twist and a turn, but our focus reads this way. God's plan is grace, not religion. Now, I understand that as I'm going to explain the term religion, I'm narrowing the term down from just a general classification of different religions, but I'm actually narrowing it down to an approach, and that grace is completely opposite from an approach to try to receive God's favor through religion. God's plan is grace, not religion. Now, it wasn't because I woke up so early this morning, missed breakfast, that I put this on the table. Um, Some of you will remember years ago a campaign that was a commercial campaign that tried to take an old, old, very familiar cereal and make it fresh again in our thinking. And the campaign was taste them again for the first time. You remember that? Nobody remembers that. I'm really old now. Remember that? Taste them again for the first time. And so here's the thing about grace. As I'm explaining grace, I could explain cornflakes. I could look at the ingredients and try to explain what's it made out of and explain it all. And you you'd kind of get an idea of what it might be like, but you don't get cornflakes until you taste them. And so the getting of grace is the same kind of thing. There's an experiencing of grace that you have to have to understand grace to get it. Now, that's the frustrating part because I'm going to spend a lot of time explaining so that we kind of get it with our head. But mm, I'm aiming us in a much bigger direction than that, that we taste it, that we experience it. And for some of us, it's like the commercial we got very familiar with grace. We, we, we learned about grace, and this subject matter is real familiar to us. And in a sense, it's my job to say, no, 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 no. Let's make sure we taste it again, even today. Like, we are in the habit of thinking about grace as something that we received a long time ago. I used to be such a sinner, and now I'm saved by grace, and now I'm good, I'm in, I've got it. Whoo, be careful. That is 
a reduction of this huge concept into an event long ago. And grace is something that we desperately need to be connected with every day. It's bigger than something that happened to you on that salvation, do- salvation day a long time ago. It's not just something that took place for you then. Grace is something we have to experience and experience and experience, and I want to try to describe that so that you can experience and enter into it and know how it's so much bigger than religion. So we're going to begin with Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. Hebrews is uh, quite a tough book. I wouldn't recommend trying to read that book if you hadn't read the other rest of the New Testament and the rest of the Old Testament, because it really makes sense once you understand how God worked in history and how the new covenant started, and now Hebrews is written to the Jewish people who became followers of Jesus, they became persecuted, now they're, they're falling back into their old religion patterns, and so he says in Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one misses the grace of God. The temptation for each of us, even those of us who think we get grace, is to slip back into religiosity, to slip back into religion thinking, to slip back into we need to do this and do this and do this to make sure that we are approved by God and right with God as if it's up to us to do this so that we can be accepted by God. What I want to take time to show you is that that's not how it works. We will have a hard time pulling that off. In fact, the Bible's pretty clear. You can't do it. And that's why we need grace. So let's begin with the explanation why we need it. Point number one, why we need grace. Now, I'm taking my cues from Jesus to introduce three terms that are usually associated with illness. Jesus associated with illness the reason why he came when the Pharisees said to him, why are you hanging out with sinners? He says, because the sick need a doctor, okay? And so Jesus made that association, and the reason why I say that is because I'm going to make an association, and it's a kind of a good association, a good comparison, but it, there's a breakdown in it, and I'll show you why in a moment. So, why do we need grace? Because A, there's a diagnosis, and the diagnosis is we absolutely need grace because we are with a problem, and that is a sin problem. We're going to jump to a statement from the Apostle Paul in Romans 3, very familiar to many of you, where Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What Paul says is not popular to say today. What Paul says is that we all sin. Today, that's not a popular sentiment. People don't want to think about them being a sinner. That's the language of guilt, and they don't really want to accept that. We make mistakes, and we have our cultural things that take place in circumstances and we're, you know, don't call me a sinner is where the world comes from. I'm just going to come from what the Bible says that God describes that we have a diagnostic problem. We have a sin problem. Everyone has a sin problem. Now, even those of us who accepted that as truth and received grace in the past 
and feel pretty good about what God has done for our lives, often we have this reaction, yeah, I know I'm a sinner, but I'm not a sinner sinner. I'm just a sinner. I'm not a, you know, sinner, sinner, sinner. And already by comparison, we're trying to justify that we're pretty good because we've made it a long way from being a sinner sinner And do you know what you're doing when we compare each other with one another and say that we're not a sinner sinner? We are sinning. Okay? Because each one of us have been affected, I'm going to make the comparison, by infected by a lethal virus that affects our, let's call it the responsibility control center. And the reason why I want to call it that way is because we like to take ourselves off the hook if it's disease. Because if you got a disease, you're not responsible for a disease. You caught it, right? And so you can't help it. You caught the disease. That's where this this, um, metaphor or connection that Jesus made, we have to be very, very clear. We caught this thing called sin, but we're still held responsible for this thing called sin. So it's different than just purely disease, our responsibility control center moved off of compass north, so to speak. So our moral compass got broken by this thing that entered into us. And we make choices that are away from God and to self. And we all kind of get a hold of this. We, rather than give glory to our creator and honor him as creator, we want to be our own boss, our own master and live life for self and pleasure and for ourselves. And to the degree that we do that, from our standpoint, if we compare with one another, we might think, you know, I'm, I'm not doing too bad. I mean, I'm tr- I try to do good things. I'm a good person. And we like to say that about ourselves. But from God's perspective who made us and our whole purpose is 180 degrees opposite direction, self-centeredness instead of God-centeredness, from his perspective, whoa, no, you're a sinner, sinner. That's his diagnosis, okay? So to get at this, I'm going to put on the screen a quote. If I minimize my sin and fail to see it as an ugly thing, I fail to see and experience the beauty of God's grace. Only by acknowledging my need for grace can I fully experience and appreciate it. So the diagnosis is that everyone has a sin problem. Now, you and I actually know this, but we like to ignore this. We want to say, no, 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 I've made some mistakes. I've got some regrets. I didn't mean to be that bad. I did this and did that. Stop. Hold hold the phone. Let's think about this a moment. You have an ideal. What is the ideal husband like? What is the ideal father like? What is the ideal man like? And if you're, I'm just talking to you men because I can relate, okay? We have an ideal. And... Did you live up to your ideal? No. I don't live up to my ideal of what an ideal husband is like, what an ideal man is like, what an ideal, what was the other one? Father is like. So if I blew it there and I have an ideal, guess what? I fell short of the glory of Jim Hammond's definition of not sin. That is so far below God's definition for everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God's definition. I have chosen, and regrettably, when I think about the things that I really, really have blown, I've chosen to do things I knew was wrong. That, my friends, is not called a mistake. It's called sin. It's a 
moral responsibility disease that entered in where I choose to do something I know is wrong. I choose to do something I know isn't the best. That is bad news, diagnosis, we are sinners. It gets worse. B on your outline is the next word, and it's still comparing the sin to a virus. The prognosis of the sin virus is what we need to talk about next. And so Paul goes into this in Romans 6, 23, when he says, for the wages of sin is death. Okay, let's just slow this down. When we go to work, we what wages? Earn wages. We get them because we deserve them. Woo-hoo! We think we deserve more, right, when we go to work. I deserve more than this for all this work, but we receive them because we expect them. Now, the same language is being applied to the sin. For the wages of sin, what you deserve, what you have earned from God's perspective is death. And a lot of people hate that about God. They'll just jump off and go, let's just talk about death for a moment. In Scripture, death isn't just physically dying. That is an after effect in the fall of mankind. Death was the separation of Adam and Eve from God. When we chose away from bringing glory to God and chose by ourselves to bring glory to ourselves instead of God, there was a separation spiritually between us and God, and that's called death, spiritual death. It's really bad news when you enter into spiritual death and the result of it is physical death. And if you're still in spiritual death when you are physically dead, you enter into eternal death which is called by scripture, second death. That's really bad, okay? So the bad news becomes worse news for the wages of sin is death. Good news is that the sentence doesn't end there, but the gift of God, we're talking about the grace now, the gift of God gives us what we don't deserve. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's not wages, we don't earn this, It's grace. It's God's plan to give us something we do not deserve. If we want what we deserve, we say things like, God, this isn't fair. Be careful. What's fair is to get what we deserve, which is death, separation from God because we chose to live separate from God and we continue to choose to live separate from God and God says, let me give you grace to help you want to come back and live with me, okay? Romans 5.12 continues this way. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Think of it this way. There was a host carrier. Adam was the first one who sinned, and that shifted everything inside of humanity, and this host carrier now infected all his progeny, infected all of us, and we still are infected by other people's sin, and we infect others with our sin. How much is your sin going to cost me? You ever been through pain because of somebody else's sin? Sometimes we think it's disassociated. But no, no, no. Other people's sin hurt us too. And our sin hurts them. And this disease thing is really a rotten deal in the world in which we're living in. But the good news is God came to give us a remedy, a solution. So here is a statement to kind of bring us in summary here. Sin is like a lethal virus with a host carrier, it all started with Adam, and the prognosis, the wages of sin, is death. Okay, bad news, bad news. I'm ready for good news. Are you ready for good news? 
All right, all right. Let's go with C. Good news is the antidote. God, from the very beginning, set into motion the plan for the antidote. Okay? The antidote to this lethal virus that sin has become for our world. We read in Romans 5.15, But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more? Okay, stop, stop. Okay, picture the mathematic equation sign, the greater than sign, right? Whoops, let me do it your way. Okay? The greater than sign is what we're talking about. That's why I highlighted that, italicized it, made it bold, underlined, because we're making a mathematical equation here. The gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the, the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So look at this greater than sign. Adam blew it. He gave us lethal sin virus to all of us. The diagnosis is ours. The prognosis is bad. But so much greater is the antidote. The antidote covers it all. And it more than covers it. Okay, so here I'm kind of struggling with the explanation side of it. We need to not just have it explained to us. We need to experience it. And that's what I want to get us to. So here's the summary statement for the prognosis. Sin is universal. Sin is powerful. Sin is lethal. But grace is greater. And the antidote, Jesus' conquering life, becomes our life-saving vaccine. See, if we had to pay the wages of our own sin, we would die. But because we're not innocent, that would be the judgment. That would be the end. But because Jesus volunteered to pay for the wages of our sin, and he went to the cross for us, he died. But because he's the son of God and righteous and did this on our behalf and had no sin of his own, he was resurrected. And with the resurrection, the lethal virus survived through Jesus in a sense of uh, became death-producing to become a vaccine in Jesus' blood through his death and sin-conquering life. And that is the gift to us in the new covenant through Jesus. It's a gift of grace. It's the antidote. Now, to talk about this, let's go to point number two. I'll just say it again. Grace is greater than your sin. Now, <laughs> explaining just falls short. So I'm going to try to prompt and prod. I can't make this happen for you to experience it, but I'm going to prompt and prod to try to get you to experience it. In your mind, go ahead and revisit what was the biggest sin of your life. I'm sorry, but I want you to experience grace. What was the biggest sin of your life? What is your biggest regret? What is your biggest Shame. The thing you, would, you don't want anybody to know about. Okay? Now, put all of those together, multiply it by every one of your sins, all of the sins you've committed that you could ever remember and that you've forgotten, can't remember, and now you have a cumulative layer of darkness. And if you can think of it as this sin and this sin and this sin, if you just cumulatively added it all together, Eventually, you're going to feel like you're on rock bottom. That's the recovery movement language for it. It's just burying me. I've got to, something's got to change, okay? And what we're saying is grace 
is not just bigger than the one sin that you're so embarrassed about, the one regret, the one big thing. Grace is bigger than the whole cumulative effect of everything all together when you're squirming at the bottom, desperately crying out for some antidote. And there's the problem. A lot of us never cry out for the antidote because we think we're all right. We never look at ourselves that way. We compare ourselves with others and we let ourselves off the hook and we're, we're not that bad. We're not sinner sinners. I'm doing okay. And that's the problem. You can't receive grace if you don't know you need grace. You won't cry out for grace and experience grace if you're busy propping yourself up as being a pretty good guy that God has to let in because you're a pretty good guy. And God says, according to whose definition? Yours? You're just not seeing it. Look at all that deep, dark stuff you'd like to forget. And grace is the only answer. That's what we're talking about. Experience it. Cry out for it. Because God is perfectly willing to give it. So willing, he sent his son to say, I love you this much, and I'm dying and paying this price for you. Cry out for it. And say, I want that grace. And then you can begin to experience it. Romans 5, 16 through 17 reads, And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of the one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. It's a gift to be made right and put right in a relationship by what Jesus did. Even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is, remember the mathematical equation sign, even greater is God's wonderful grace. It's greater than your whole cumulative list. It's greater than your greatest shame. It's greater than the thing you think you could never be forgiven for. It's greater than all of Adam's sin and what he has done to humanity. What Jesus did is greater, and it's offered to us. And grace is God's plan to give us the gift of righteousness, which people, you cannot achieve or earn or make happen apart from grace. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. So point number three is this. Religion is not greater than sin. Grace and only grace is greater than your sin. If you slip back like the Hebrews did, back into Judaism and away from relying on grace but trying to atone for their sins through religiosity and going to the temple and doing these rituals and making sure they do all these things so that they could earn their approval before God, you are going to miss out on grace. Religion isn't good enough. Religion can't make it happen for you. You have to receive a gift, and grace is God's plan. I'm going to share this in a chart form. Sorry, I don't have time to explain it real well, but it'll help you get an idea. The key word of religion is do. You've got to do this and do this and do this and do this, and then God will approve of you. But God says, 
It never works that way. You'll never know that you've done enough. If you're busy climbing the ladder to do this and do this and do this so that God approves you, you're going to always feel frustrated. That's why Jesus came and he said on the cross, it is finished. Done. I've done it for you. The focus of religion is external. I've got to behave this way. I've got to behave this way and everybody can see that I'm doing better. It's external. The focus of grace is internal. It starts on the inside out and starts to shift things inside and change things from the inside where the behavior begins to change because you're actually becoming good from grace given to you. Not trying to be good and earning it. The foundation of religion is rules. The foundation of grace is a relationship given to you through Jesus Christ because of what Jesus has done based on no merit but his. The mentality of religion is achieve. If I do this and do this and do this and climb the ladder and make sure I do this and do this, then he'll have to let me into heaven. And God says, it'll never work. You don't have what it takes. You can't climb that ladder. You can't be good enough. You can't go and do this enough to actually take care of that thing inside of you called sin. But grace is something you receive, not achieve. You say, yes, I want this. And he gives it to you. The motivation of religion is shame and guilt. Shame on you. You did that? How dare you? Don't you know it says this? Try harder. That, my friends, does not work. Instead, grace says, I loved you this much. I loved you first. And we respond back, thank you for loving me even while I was a sinner. I love you for doing what, doing what you did. I'm just so grateful that you give me grace. And because of love, things shift and change. Religion feels like a frustrating climb up an inverted cliff. You're just hanging on by your claws and you're dangling, trying to get the next purchase, the next achievement. If I can only get over the top and you are so frustrated because you just don't have what it takes and you're about to fall and fail miserably in every way. Grace, on the other hand, it's already done for you. It feels like a path of joy. It feels like freedom. I'm loved. I'm accepted. I'm forgiven. I love you, God. You love me first. That's a huge difference we're talking about. So if I'm talking about an academic understanding of grace and dissecting it, it would be like reading the ingredients on the back of a box. It's not the same thing as tasting it. You look it up in a theological dictionary, they're going to give you something like, it's an unmerited favor. Thank you, Paul. Okay? Or if you get something cute about it, here's G-R-A-C-E. It's true and it's great. God's righteousness at Christ's expense. He pays for it. He gives it to you. You can receive it but you have to enter into the story of it to actually experience it. So let me share on video a short story. The whole thing happened in a matter of seconds, but it happened. I wish it hadn't. I wish I could go back and be a patient and a gentle husband. I wish I would have responded with humility and self-control, but I didn't. And I don't know what caused the mirror to come off the door one night and crash into pieces. I suppose you could just make the argument that the adhesive that was holding the mirror to the door wasn't strong enough. That's a possibility. But I got into an argument with my wife. To be honest, I don't even remember what it was all about. But I got angry, I lost my temper, and I punched a hole in my closet door. 
After it happened, I hoped my wife would forget about it and that my kids wouldn't find out. So the way I dealt with my regret was to cover it up. I went to the store, I bought a long mirror, and I hung it on the closet door over the hole and just pretended like it wasn't there. As I stood in the closet and looked down at the broken mirror on the floor, I could see my own reflection in the broken pieces. It was a metaphor that was hard for me to miss. The crash woke up my wife. She came into the closet and she found me on my knees picking up the glass. And I'm not much of a crier, but I was crying. And she knew it wasn't because I was especially attached to that mirror. And I'm not sure that I had ever really told her I was sorry, but I was ready to repent. I rested my head against her and I cried. I shared my regret and I repented over what I had done rather than covering it up and keeping it to myself. And here's the beautiful thing. I had been trying to hide it, but when I finally came clean with it, it's what put me in a position to receive grace. And we finished picking up the broken pieces together. If you come to my house today and walk in my closet, you would still find a hole in the door. That hole in the door that I wanted to hide because it reminded me of something I regretted started to remind me how much I am loved. A busted closet door became a trophy of God's grace. The greatness of God's grace means that I don't have to keep trying to convince myself I'm not that bad. Because the truth is, we are worse than we ever want to admit. But God's grace is greater than we ever could have imagined. I framed a prayer um, in words to help us if there, there are a number of us here that want grace. You need to understand, grace isn't just something that happens to save you. Grace is the fuel that we need every day to please God. He's the giver of grace. We can't do it on our own. And so I framed a prayer that kind of approaches this question of grace as a gift. Lord, I want it. If that's you and you want grace, then I would encourage you, let's all stand together and pray this prayer. We're going to jump to the prayer. I want to read it slowly. You read it out loud with me. If you aren't ready to ask God for grace, then just just watch. You don't need to speak it out uh, until you're ready to ask God for grace. But if you're ready to ask God for grace, I think this will help. Let's pray this together. Dear God, I certainly do not want to miss your grace, and yet sometimes that is precisely what I do when I try to earn it or achieve it instead of simply receive it. My dear Lord Jesus, thank you for absorbing into yourself my lethal sin virus and overcoming it through your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you for providing a life-saving vaccine through your blood in the new covenant relationship you invite us to. Thank you for conquering my problem for me. Your grace is greater than my guilt. Thank you for giving me your victorious life Coursing through my veins, I turn to you. I want to live in your life and have your life live in me. Thank you for making this possible, all in the powerful, victorious name of Jesus. Amen.